Space. The final frontier. Well, okay, not, not really. All right, uh, take two, take two. Here in the Mitten State, welcome to Code 47, bringing you all things Star Trek, spanning the quadrants, the best thing since the neutral zone. Okay, back again. Yes, it is the Code 47 podcast on the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network, episode number 96. I am your humble servant, Trek Lord of West Michigan, captain of the USS Grand Petoskey of the Starfleet International Fan Club here in Michigan and in Region 13. Uh, coming at you, I am joined, as always, by my faithful companions. Number one, to the left, uh, or at least to the left of my screen. I don't know sometimes what it looks like on YouTube, but I'm talking about Kay. Kay, how the hell are you on this lovely Sunday? I am doing very well. I'm enjoying the sunshine. Oh, my God. It's the great. Yeah, we're uh, we're recording this the day before the beginning of meteorological spring here in Michigan, which is like, oh, it doesn't really mean much to know nothing because it'll still snow next week. We have we, we've had a snowstorm this weekend. Uh, so we're looking forward to that being done. Also, of course, always joined by my fellow uh, Trek purist and unforgiving critic, Mr. Peter Stein. Mr. Peter Stein, how are you? Doing well, everybody. Excellent. Well, let's jump right on into it. We did have a news story, which is relevant uh, in particular today. Uh, that would be the fact that the Hero Collector Star Trek Starship models, which were previously sold by a company called Eagle Moss, which went belly up last July, taking uh, $200 of my money with it. That was an outstanding order that I had, uh, has been snapped up by another UK company called Master Replicas, and the site goes live. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, it actually went live uh, on Sunday morning. So, Kay, I know that you're not a collector. I am a massive collector collector of the Eagle Moss product. I started probably in Look, 2014. I couldn't tell by no. everything that's in your background. <laughs> Absolutely every well actually none of this stuff really is, but if you let you know in my den, that big glass case, that's that's all Eagle Moss. And it, you're right, it does kind of like the cordyceps in The Last of Us, it spreads around the house. Um but uh, Peter, you you've dabbled a bit, have you not? Yes. Not particularly with the Eagle Moss things other than looking at them and wanting to pick them up. Right. But, but I do collect starships. So, this yeah, is, this is exciting that starships are available because they start to they they've been making some of the more obscure ones that I. Yes. Uh, yeah, I definitely have some of the more obscure ones uh, in my case. And just a super brief history uh, of Eagle Moss. Again, it's a it was a British company called Hero Collector uh, slash Eagle Moss, which is uh, th their main um spokesperson's name is Ben Robinson. He's all over socials, particularly on Twitter, uh, which is where we learned about this news several months ago. Did I already lose my badge? Oh, no, there it is. Okay, sorry, I was looking on the wrong side. Um, uh, so this is this is great news. And again, what these Master Replica folks have done uh, is that they snapped up uh, basically inventory that Eagle Moss had when Eagle Moss went belly up, as I said, which was fantastically sudden uh, last July. I had placed an order at the end of June, and then their website went dead, and they had no customer service number. So 
oh, well, stuff happens. There goes my money, but it's only money, right? Um, but yeah, the line, as, as it's mentioned here, was launched in 2013, went on to include over 400 ships in different scales, special editions, all the kinds of different stuff. Um, and they've been available on Amazon and eBay and places uh, in the you know the aftermarket where you're going to find really bloated prices. So um, no idea what that pricing is going to look like when this launches, but as soon as we get done recording, I will take a peek, and then we will find out. So... Uh, good. All right. Well, that is my thoughts of news. Uh, and yeah, Kate, Kate, I gave you a ship, but it was actually, it was a Voyager model and it was an old, uh, Hallmark, uh, ornament. So yes. you're sort of close to being a, a model collector. You have one. And I cherish it so much. I, it's my little I favorite am, ship. <laughs> I am so glad to hear it. So, all right, without further ado, let's move on, uh, to talking about this week's episodes of Picard. We have, uh, we're in season three. Obviously we're talking about episodes four and five. Peter, why don't you jump Jump in uh, talking about episode four, no win scenario or scenario as some people choose to say it. Ah, uh, yes, the no win scenario. So, um, this is a lot of this episode is sitting and waiting, but uh, Vatic, who we discover is a changeling, dun, contacts dun, dun, dun. her superior and is ordered to pursue the Titan at all costs. Doing so in the nebula requires disengagement of the portal technology. So, poof, it's gone. With only a few hours of power remaining on the Titan, Riker admits Picard was right and suggests he spend his last moments bonding with Jack. In the holodeck, Picard and Jack tell each other some of their adventures, but are joined by local grumpy man Shaw, who bitterly recounts his experience as a Starfleet engineer during No One Ever Saw This Coming, Wolf 359. What? Peter hasn't been talking about that for months! Or since the show started, so that's a month. Yeah. Riker, Beverly, and Picard form a risky plan to use an energy pulse from the nebula to recharge the ship's systems. Sean Seven helps Basically Discovery 2.0. <laughs> yeah, I have thoughts on this. Um, Seven identifies and kills the changeling imposter. The Titan damages the Shrike on their way out of the nebula, finally, and is met by a plethora of space jellyfish. Actually, they're more like squid. But as they warp away, Picard realizes that he met Jack five years earlier and inadvertently dis- dismissed his attempt at familial connection. Ooh. And as we end, Jack has a hallucination of a destroyed world and a voice that says, find me. Ooh. Ooh. All right. Well, Peter, since you did the reading, uh, and it sounds like church, Peter, since you've done the reading, because Peter, I know you're a church guy. Uh, why don't you go ahead and deliver the rest of the sermon? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, this episode um, definitely was a step up, I thought. Um, it <laughs> You guys it were killing of- me last time, hating on this show, so I... But then again, K may come back and yeah. drop I mean, the axe. I don't know. <laughs> they did do a bit better with Riker this episode. I thought he still wasn't where I want him to be, um, but he's he at least was doing better. Um, the um, obviously the Shaw thing we saw coming from six hundred thousand light years away. The um, dipshit from Chicago, I, and of course, as I, I mentioned, I. I, I had yeah. met Todd Stashwick, and he's just as de- he's as delightful in person. Though he's a nice guy, not a not not kind of a grumbly wumbly, but he's from Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so there's that. Um, that was an interesting conversation. Um, 
I thought it was odd though that they brought that they invented a new situation with um, Picard and Jack Crusher, the dead. The yeah. fi- the five years ago bit. Oh the oh the yeah. dead Jed, Jack Crusher. Oh no, I understand. Yeah, so okay. the, the the dead shuttle bit because there are two episodes that they could have already done that with with booby trap and some and I, the other one's escaping me where Picard actually did pilot the Enterprise on just thrusters with no power through an asteroid. Right. Right, but yeah, um, booby trap is probably the best example. Okay, I know that's very inside baseball, but that was the Enterprise stuck in this in this field of energy, and anytime they use energy, more radiation pumps into the ship. So Picard. Oh has yeah, to no, I remember away. that one. Yeah, and it's it's when Jordy meets who we might find out is Jordy's Jordy's eventual wife, uh, Leia Brahms. Yeah. Yeah. So, but anyway, yeah, he met her in a holodeck recreation, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I agree with you. I would have, I would have enjoyed more of a callback, but I probably see how they're trying to yeah, I see ramp up more than more of the, it's just, yeah, it's just right. weird because there's a point where Riker says it's never been done with a starship this large. It's like, I'm yeah. sorry, the galaxy class is much larger the than biggest. the Titan. It's been, it's done. pretty much biggest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, also, you know what? Dex did it better. True. You stop now. Uh, but that's um, uh, okay. And I, and the other thing yes. for me for this episode was the, the, the changeling bit was interesting. Um, it was a little, you can definitely tell how they were thinking about using the bluegill instead of the changelings because how you figure out that someone's a bluegill is the something they didn't know. Right. Um, Very the, true. The changelings mm-hmm. is the DNA and all that stuff, which they try to explain in the next episode, but say la vie. Um, the recharging the warp core bit was uh, this is the one thing in the episode that I hated because <laughs> that's how they how, how they jump started like that's battery not <laughs> how matter antimatter reactions work at all you can't jump start a warp core like a carburetor uh, <laughs> that's what they did. Uh, it looked cool the guy in the troll truck pulls up. Smoking a cigar. Well, you know, it's going to be $200 for me just being out here. Yeah. So, <laughs> and also, when cool, has but... science ever stopped Star Trek? Let's be real right. here. It's not called science <laughs> track. They try to be consistent. <laughs> Sometimes. Well, yes, you write yourself a note to Erin McDonald then, and she'll be like, uh, well, I don't know, man. I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> it's also warp core, and everyone's like, oh, well, it doesn't, no one knows how it works. I have two books on my shelf that tell me other. Yeah, books. you see, this is why you guys are such a perfect balance because you're you're the nitpicking nerd like I am, and then Kay's like, well, you know, here's some dramatic stuff that was good, and here's some dramatic stuff that was stupid, <laughs> and that's why we have such a great balance. So I always right. love to talk about the dramatic stuff. The dramatic stuff, Peter. Any any final thoughts before we kick it over to uh, the esteemed dramatic stuff, lady person, lady person? Um, <laughs> not. Not terribly, other than I thought it was uh, rather interesting to have Picard himself drop an F-bomb in this particular episode. So much controversy. <laughs> I've, yes. I've seen them show, like, I've other characters using it. It was it's yeah. just odd to me for Jean-Luc Picard to do it because he's a little bit more refined. Um, Could be. And, he's also and, old as hell. Same thing with Riker for forgetting, the, yeah. For, Riker for me, though, forgetting like about for, the for yeah. characters to like express things like I'm not against expletives. It's just that for me, when you just when you yeah. reduce it to just that, it generally for me shows a lack of intelligence rather than actually like 
just I'm upset because there's other ways to express that. Um, and so I, j- I don't know. I just didn't like it for Picard himself. I, I see that they do it with other people, but yeah, it's, it, it's jarring in which is why the internet is, you know, kind of been pissing themselves sideways over it, but you do have, that. I'm just, ha- <laughs> you do have to consider, I think that in, in he's an older guy, it's a very stressful situation and it wasn't sometimes the situation. It was in the holodeck. Well, it was, it was an emotionally stressful situation. That sometimes things like that just creep out. So anyway, that that's how I will mildly defend the not so mild profanity. But anyway, Kay, <laughs> take it away. All right. So I am really enjoying the concepts that they're trying to pull out with like the changelings and Shaw forcing Picard to deal with like his time as Lacutius and even some of like the weird tricks that they've been using to try to get out of like these unwinnable situations, but I'm still just kind of exhausted with the drama that they're creating between characters for no other reason than just filling screen time. Um, I am going to vent about Riker, but Charlie, I'd like to hear your thoughts about this specifically, if you're comfortable talking about it after I'm kind of like done venting. Yeah. As someone with depression, I'm just really irritated as how they turned his depression, which is about a very serious life changing issue into more of like a midlife crisis. Like he just needed to like go out with the boys and like, you know, get his matcha back and then he'll be like, totally he's, realize that life is worth living. He's, <laughs> like, way, he's like super way past midlife crisis. Cause he's in his, right. in his characters in his seventies now, but yeah. Right. And just he's talking awesome. about like the passing yeah. of his child and how he had like this giant existential crisis and it, you know, brought him into this huge depression. But like Troy is also a counselor. So it seems like she would have been easily able to see the signs of depression and not just been like, well, I'm sick of you. Like you need to leave. And, you know, treatment for depression is not a stigma, at least according to Bashir in DS9. Like that's not mm-hmm. something that's stigmatized anymore. And so he just abandons his family and acts like an asshole, leaving Troy to deal with the fallout. And, you know, they still have a daughter who's probably really confused and frustrated that her dad just left. And it just seemed like he had this, like, proverbial, like, going and buying a motorcycle to run around and then realize that life was worth living. (laughs) Right, which seemed like it was more of, like, an insult from those who suffer from mental illness and, like, really downplayed, like, the loss of a child. So that was that was my event. <laughs> I, I understand. I will say, as some people who know me, anybody who really knows me knows that I've lost a child, and it was it was three years ago. It was my son Parker. He was uh, he was thirteen. He was ill from birth. Uh, we knew it was coming. He was my son with my ex wife. Um, because of her machinations, I would say I certainly didn't get to spend the time with him that. I would like to have during his life, but spent more time with him when, when April and I got married, he spent a lot of time over here. We really got to know him as he grew and it was just, it's, it's, it's devastating. And there's, there's really no other way to quantify that. But one thing I will say is, is grief at that level of magnitude, which I think is, is near the upper echelon. So probably anything that anybody can go through is that there is no way to quantify how you're going to feel about it day to day. You know what I mean? You'll, you may find mm-hmm. peace. You may never find peace. It could be different between a man and a woman. It could be, you know, there's there, 
I didn't look at it being somebody who went through it as having like, well, that doesn't seem like a normal reaction. One thing that doesn't make a ton of sense, uh, and and that's been a struggle I've had with the the timeline of the series so far, uh, is that the timeline of the series so far doesn't make a lot of sense. Season one, the year twenty three ninety nine. Season two jumps two years forward. Um, and then season three seems to take place within the same year, um, which for all of the changes that we see in things doesn't tend to make a lot of sense. When we when we meet the Rikers again in season one, the death of their son, Thaddeus, happened at some point in the past. We it don't was know seven when. years before that. No, it was seven. Right. Because they, they mentioned that he would have been okay. 18, um, like a week before would have been his 18th birthday. So gotcha. doing the math, okay. you realize that he had passed seven years ago. So it's nine years now at that point. Or at so it, point. Does, it does seem super unusual that, you know, who knows what precipitated the blowout that they had that Riker left home. You don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. and, their, their, and their daughter is now, you know, 15, 16. I don't remember how old she was in season one, but she's of that teenage and, you know, and who knows what was going on at home that precipitated him leaving. Um, th- this is potentially just him showing some great regret. Um, marriage is challenging. Kay, you know that. I know yeah. that. I know that three <laughs> times fold. Um, so without any real context to figure out what's going on right there, I, I can't pass judgment kind of in the same way because you have no idea yeah. what precipitated. And even if you didn't, I mean, this is humanizing those characters to me in more ways than than you can really conceptualize because the way that people deal with grief, there's no barometer. It doesn't matter if you're married to a empathetic slash telepathic half alien who's also a counselor and you're William T. Riker, the indestructible man. Um, we're, we're all human, which is what Star Trek kind of shows <laughs> us time and again. We're all, we're all human and we're all going to have less than great you know, responses, we're still going to be Jean-Luc Picard and drop an F-bomb every once in a while. You know what I mean? So to, to me, you know, I, I would have to respectfully disagree about, you know, yeah, I don't want to see Picard uh, turn into, you know, like a Welsh sailor, you know, and, and be swearing every other word. But you know what? Dropping an F-bomb in the situation that they're in doesn't surprise me that much. But yes, you're right. It's not like yeah. Jean-Luc Picard that we knew in Star Trek The Next Generation 35 years ago, but, you know, the, uh, the the Android Picard, I don't know, you know what, it could have been a glitch in his algorithms. L- all right, let's use the Android <laughs> excuse. Let's use the Android excuse. Yeah. Um, but I think yeah, for me I, it was more, I was irritated that it seemed like by the end of the episode he was fine. Like, right. he had his adventure, and then he everything was fixed then. And that's kind of what, like, graded me a little bit of, like, right. this but, is a huge, you know, like, if you're dealing with this loss, right. this is a huge thing. The, the thing is, Troy is as yet, you know, they spoke on comms, but she has yet to show up because she's going to show up in person, yeah. we think. Um, so there, you know, and then there's that one throwaway line like, you dumped us to go be with Picard or whatever you heard in the in the trailer. So so we'll see. Um, we'll see. But let, let's uh, go ahead and move on. A lot of stuff has been said. I, I like it. I mean, I've, I've been a little bit more of an advocate all along than, than you guys have, um, just because I think, well, you got some older characters and they're kind of behave a little differently because we all behave a little differently as we get older. So you're right. It's not as static as potentially a lot of people uh, feel as you guys feel, um, but I'm loving on it. Um, and I'm loving on even more what we get in episode five. So K episode five imposter is yours. 
All right. So um, we start out with a vision for Jack showing murdering the crew. He's still getting that kind of like red flashes and the weird kind of red roots that are climbing all over the place. Uh, Shaw, in his true nihilistic form, contacts Starfleet because he's just wanting to see the world burn. And I am here for it. He is. uh, What is it? What is it? That great meme of Elmo standing with the flames behind us. That is definitely. That's Shaw. Yeah, it's either that or the one of the guy just sitting with a coffee cup and amongst the flames going, everything is fine. That's Shaw, and I love it. I love it. So as they are returning to the Intrepid, uh, shows up, and then Ro Lauren, who had originally betrayed Starfleet for the Marquis, becomes the person who's going to be interviewing uh, Picard and Riker, and they end up having a back and forth. We realize that the Changeling Saboteurs can now imitate full bodily autonomy as far as intestines and all internal organs. So finding they them are is going to be a little skin bit difficult. Jobs. Skin yes. jobs. Yes. Like finding BSG. them is going to be a little more difficult. And then, uh, so there's a little bit of back and forth, whether we're like, is Roe a changeling? What's going on? Ooh. Right. Ah, ooh. Um, right. And then you find out that she's actually not, and her and Picard have kind of a heart-to-heart you know, bury the axe, so to speak. And in the meantime, we've got, um, oh, uh, what's their faces? Worf and Rafi going after a Vulcan criminal named Kryn, who conveniently knows all of the criminal underworld and is the go-to person to get stuff. So really easy, you know, another MacGuffin yet. So (laughs) they kind of have a really nice back and forth where Rafi stabs Worf, (laughs) (laughs) which was enjoyable. (laughs) It's it's just Um, a flesh wound. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, overall, I I have to say, I watched this episode and I thought, you know, is is season three good now? Is this, because it feels like maybe they got kind of the junk out of the way first of like confusing and they've really been building a solid season. So this was one of them where I like genuinely enjoyed this episode um, i might might and, have to toss this one in the bracket for episode 100 oh wait we, we don't talk about that oops <laughs> so um i really enjoyed how they kind of were using mirrors for um everyone like shaw is definitely a mirror for Riker. i mean his first name is also william it seems like that's pretty obvious you know you have roe going up against picard talking about duty and you know obligation and really she's just kind of the she just didn't have main character protection when every time she like defied orders, so right. it didn't work out in her favor. <laughs> right? She was she was she was Starfleet's bad girl, you know. Yeah. Um, you well, know, if you go right I mean, right back to and and I have to um, I wanted to this weekend I didn't, but I want to go I wanted to go back to back and watch uh, her first episode, which was called Ensign Row from season five of TNG, and then Preemptive Strike, which was one of the last episodes of TNG from season seven, which is when she left and became the Maquis. Mm-hmm. I do love how she said, well, after years with the Maquis, I turned myself in. I'm like, you know, if you watch DS9, there was no turn yourself in with the Maquis. They all pretty much got killed. And anybody who didn't yeah. die ended up in prison. There so was a line she where, like, the Dominion wiped them all out. Yeah, there was a, there was a line yeah. from Voyager when Voyager finally gets contact with the Alpha Quadrant, which happens middle of season for um chakotay gets a message from his one of his lieutenants in their cell who said yeah you know who relayed essentially what happened when the cardassians hooked up with the dominion is that the dominion said oh you know it was like the checklist they said yeah we're gonna sweep through the badlands and kill every maquis base wipe everybody out and anybody who escaped went to jail so that's what happened mm-hmm. to Roe, really. She didn't really give herself up in this noble, like, well, you know, I fought. She just she tends to kind of spin it in a way that I think is weird. But anyway. Yeah. 
So, I mean, I, I enjoyed that, you know, they were kind of playing that back and forth as far as like, you know, her defying orders and doing what she thought was right and the lens that it's put on it versus the lens that's put on like Picard and Riker's actions as them being heroic when they defy actions, you know, which is something that Shaw is again, continually pointing out because he is just the, the vice to all of this. Um, and so again, I just, I really enjoyed the world building that they were doing. I enjoyed you know, how they're moving the plot forward. There wasn't as much strife and conflict for characters just for strife's sake, which I mm-hmm, enjoyed. It mm-hmm. seemed like everybody was kind of falling into the routine where even the strife between Picard and Roe made sense as far as it was more of them building bridges versus trying to tear each other down or just, you know, the conflict was already right. there and they were fixing it. Um, and then, you know, we realized that the voice that Jack keeps hearing as far as like the find me is Beverly's voice, which is probably has to do with the fact that he had nightmares as a kid. And so it's probably him kind of trying to self-soothe as he was going through those nightmares as a kid that he doesn't remember and having her talk him through those. So, right. you know, some really great setups as far as plot goes. You know, again, I am just living for Shaw and his nihilistic outlook. I need 100% more of that in every episode. (laughs) (laughs) And keep in mind, and this is something I did this morning, and I I put it on uh, on our Secret Friends Discord. Uh, I did it in several chats uh, on Facebook that you guys are part of and and in the region is part of. Uh, Somebody did a great piece of fan art that just has Seven and Shaw and says Star Trek Titan. And I said, start sending this out. And anybody who's listening to my voice, use Twitter, use Instagram, use whatever you use. Tag Paramount, send it to Paramount, write them a letter if that's your thing. Um, Because let's face it, in the old days, that's what they did. When Star Trek Discovery had Captain Pike and number one and Spock as characters, and again, somebody refreshed my memory, I feel like there was something like that involved, that there was enough interest generated, people were loving on it enough that we got Strange New World. So does anybody remember the details of that? I know I'm kind of flying off the cuff. Peter, anything ring a bell? I think it was just the viewership that got them that show. Okay. I don't know if there was yeah. necessarily a, a letter writing campaign. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're, you know, and you're probably not, not watching this, if you're listening to the show, cause that wouldn't make any sense at all. But if by some chance <laughs> go subscribe to Paramount plus they do a 30 day. I think the current Picard is like the current code is like Picard. It'll get you 30 days. I could be wrong. You know, Google is your friend, um, but go ahead and share that image. If you, if you saw my post this morning, if you're, on our discord if you're you know part of one of our pages uh if you're part of the chapter part of the region please go out there share let people know you love it that's that's the only way particularly in the streaming world that we're gonna get a spinoff show based on this unless by some miracle um so anyway all right end of my psa thanks for coming to my ted talk uh Kay, any final thoughts before we kick it over to peter um i'm actually instead of being hesitantly optimistic i'm just genuinely optimistic like i'm excited Yay! to watch episode I'm seven so <laughs> or episode i am six. super super glad you guys were starting to worry me there and i was i was afraid we were going to fall into a lower deck situation when i had my two prior you, hosts that made me hate lower decks can you can blame I us though i mean the first two seasons were not great <laughs> It was tough, and I know you guys were you guys were pretty tough on these first three first three episodes, particularly two and three, and 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 I get it, but I, we shouldn't speak for Peter. We should let Peter speak for himself. Peter, rap to me. What's up? Um, I liked this episode a lot. Roe is one of my favorite characters. Such from a great character. Next generation, um, partially because she just kind of does her own thing. She does what right. she thinks is right, but she does it her way. Um, right and i appreciate that she she um anyway um 
I did like how the they characterized the conflict between Picard and Roe. It felt very much like it was a follow-up to where we left off at the end of Preemptive Strike with those two characters. Yeah. Um, I, I know I said that there was a lot of v- there is a little bit t- uh, more emotion with Picard in the previous episode. This episode is where I would have found it appropriate um, because this is where they are. There's a lot of charged emotions in that scene, especially when they get to the holodeck. Yeah. Um, and it was very well done when they first brought her in. I was exceptionally concerned um, because Roe is one of my favorite characters Right. Yeah. Please, please, please don't do something dumb. Um, But did they? Did they do something dumb, or did they do something? They did pull a dumb, in my opinion. But it's not. It's more of a preference thing, not a, not a, um, a a big thing. It was. It was more the bring back a character, let them drop a major thing, and then blow them up. Right. Uh, by the way, super full pleased. spoilers. You know what? I you know what? I'm thinking there's a name to the episode in here. Should we call it Well Dumb? <laughs> like <laughs> Well Dumb? <laughs> well dumb question well mark? Done. Yeah. Well Dumb. Yes, that is now the name of the episode. It's Well Dumb with a question mark. <laughs> um, so, but I thought it was really it was decently uh, executed how they got her to do her mm-hmm. things. It's 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 still a little weird to me that we just have everybody going to Starfleet intelligence. Like, couldn't she just be with the JAG office or something to do the, the interview or something? It's like, yeah. Worf is part of intelligence. Rafi is part of intelligence. Roe is part of intelligence. Right. Why is everyone part of intelligence? What is this? Well, then they wouldn't have been able to tie in Roe being. Right. No, I, I get that. But it's, just, it's just bizarre <laughs> right. to me that there's all this, right. just like everybody's over in intelligence where we never really heard about them before. Right. Uh, well, and not, maybe that exists. Maybe that's why they're maybe and maybe that's why they're doing it. Just trying to forge some kind of new ground as opposed to the same old like and it's section 31 again, because I just know section 31. You see, yeah, try to try to look at the sunny side. You know, they're giving us something new that, yes, we do know about Starfleet intelligence, but a lot of it has been name drop. And here's one bad and here's another bad And then now we're getting people in Starfleet intelligence who are not bad dudes. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but it was, it was, it was good there with all of that. Um, Shaw being Shaw was still enjoyable. Um, yeah. That's great. Yes. I'm going to l- let you guys work out your bullshit story. I'm a dipshit from Chicago or whatever. Yeah. He's, he's, so, he, he's, like, he's, he's so great. For me, there's he's still so a little bit of the sitting there going like, how the hell did you get in command of a starship with that attitude? But I enjoy the character. Right. Um, exactly. So, so I feel like maybe the reason he's so super grumpy is I, you know, back in, uh, Back in season, the very beginning of season four in TNG, which is when Best of Both Worlds took place, he was a young kid. Maybe he wasn't even an officer. Maybe he was just a crewman. Um, and this, you know, maybe he was Johnny Happy Go Lucky. And this whole experience just absolutely changed his worldview and just made him this tough as hell. He went back to school. He became a, uh, you know, became an officer. Worked his way up through the ranks, and he's just unforgivably awesome at his job um with no sense of humor with no like hey it's picard we're gonna drink tea and ride horses on the holodeck or whatever he's just not he's just not that guy so i don't know i think he just doesn't like Riker and picard's bullshit i think that's the big thing because he seems like an incredibly competent well-trained officer and to be honest with you yeah 
to be honest with you, if you were just some rank and not even just some rank and file, but even somebody who was great, and you ran into these living legends who just do whatever the hell they want, it's like it's like if you were a Starfleet person and you had to deal with Kirk and company, wouldn't they kind of annoy the shit out of you with mm-hmm. all the stuff that Kirk did? Like, and I broke the Prime Directive forty eight times, and I went back in time, and I did this thing and that thing, and I we slept with David Keeler and all these green women and temporal. blah blah blah. We see it with temporal investigations, like we know. Yeah, exactly. They don't. Kirk. Yeah, you know, when someone, I think when someone is famous in universe in Star Trek, other people just kind of hate their guts uh, who have similar jobs or have to interact with them on a professional level. Normal people are like, ooh, Captain Kirk, he's a legend. And people in Starfield are like, oh, Captain Kirk, fuck that guy. <laughs> oh, oops, did well, I say that out loud? No, no, I guess. It depends on the character. <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I also have to say that I have, I thoroughly, from the beginning, I have been thoroughly enjoying Worf, even though he yeah. hasn't always mm-hmm. had a lot of tie into the main plot. He, they finally tied him in a little bit more. Yeah, um, yeah. But Worf has been Worf, doing Worf things and Worfing very well. So um, much Worfing. Especially the whole, like, mm-hmm. oh, he's dead, and then he comes back. I am not dead. I just stopped my Yoink! heart. Imperceptible. It's like, yeah, yes. okay, saw that one coming. That's right. Funny. Right, right. Like, right. We need to watch this along. Me. I'm in desperate need of medical attention. <laughs> yes, like, yeah, yeah. like, you're not going to kill me. It's like, my friend is kind of bleeding a lot, so it's kind of his patience we're waiting on. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Let's pick up the pace, right? <laughs> so just Worf doing Worf is right. enjoyable. And uh, Worf yeah. in a way. Worf in a way the hours. Just a tiny little nitpick was... Rose earring is not rose earring. It's yeah, Amazon very true. Era earring, which I thought was funny. Um, oh boy, yeah. He said, "Well, yeah. you know, the problem with Christie selling off all those uh, Star Trek props in the mid two thousands is they got to go back and make new ones. So, whoops, they, they maybe not always going to get it right. They don't have the they don't well, have the big she Paramount warehouse. Also, made it into a uh, a new into a data chip, so she yes. might have right. needed a different type of earring for that. Yeah, might have made a new one. Exactly, had more so. mass, so. You could have fit. Yeah. But, you know. Well, and of course, uh, she was, she being the, she being the original Bajoran, she was the test bed for that makeup. The original Bajoran makeup had little wings at the top over the eyebrows. And Mm -hmm. they eliminated that when Nana Visitor took on the role of Matricura as a weekly character on DS9. Um, And so then Rose disappeared too. So I don't know. Must have been that selective Bajoran reconstructive surgery. You know, there's a business for you. Uh, She had her face. (laughs) burned during the dominion war like you don't know yeah very true yeah she might have gotten hit by a hot you know shell piece of scrap scrapnel or whatever so all right any final thoughts before we move on to talk? we had a great conversation about these two episodes but any final thoughts before moving on to <laughs> talking about ds9 we're we're enthusiastically optimistic or getting close to it mm-hmm. peter have they won you over yet this episode is definitely a step in the right direction i'm still mm-hmm. hesitant about some of the inner world building um, particularly with the changelings. Um, I always get annoyed when people start throwing the word evolution around when you're dealing with a span of decades. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so, a tough one. So but it could, could, could be more of a variant than evolution. You never know. And plus it's saying, aliens. It, it, it's it not biological me. life form. Yeah, but I understand where you're coming from. It is I got you. Life form. It's just not life as we understand it. <laughs> This is true. Okay, uh, good. Other thoughts? Happy? Yeah, I think I think we're I think we're heading in the right direction. I am I am optimistic. I'm excited for for the next episode. 
I love it. And we will get there uh, very soon when we come back to you in a couple of weeks. We will have episode six and seven. All right, but let's move on to talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We're in season three. This is part three. We're going to be rocking through seven episodes that took place in early 1995. It was the end of my freshman year in uh, college. Uh, I felt the show was really picking up uh, some steam, but we'll just jump right back into it. I will read the first one instead of throwing it to one of you guys. I won't throw you under the bus, but we'll get there. Uh, Episode 14 of the season is Heart of Stone, uh, directed by Alexander Singer. See his name a lot. We've got the superstar team of Iris Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf doing the writing from February of 1995. Kira's life is in jeopardy uh, on a mission. Odo expresses the depths of the feelings for her. Uh, meanwhile, back on the station, Narg requests a letter of recommendation to Starfleet. Wow. Two super interesting developments, uh, in my opinion, that propel um, propel forward storylines that will evolve throughout the rest of the series. So mm-hmm. I love this. It was, it was kind of framed around a mission that kind of sort of had something to do with the Maquis, but it didn't because the Maquis launched real strong. Uh, at the at the mid back half of season two of this series, looked like it was going to be a great big deal, and then Voyager launched, and we almost never heard from Maki again, but for a little bit here and there. So this was this was a touch, but I I thought this was a great episode. We're also entering the phase of the series where Kira's hair gang gang kind of looked like it was a hair helmet, like it was tall, but it was so manicured that she was kind of like she was really emphasized the Kira to Kirk with the hair. I thought that was pretty amazing. I feel like it was really strong in this episode. And the ones that followed her hair was just pretty much rock solid. Um, but yeah, I love, I, I love this episode. I loved uh, Nog um, finally kind of breaking down, talk about his real feelings uh, uh, mm-hmm. because he does go, he does go to Cisco. He says, uh, I want to be in Starfleet. And he's like, where do I get a uniform? And like he's kind of, you know, they're kind of playing that for laughs a little bit because nothing works like that. But then, you know, Cisco kind of kind of peels away layers of the onion, finally gets Nog to admit, well, my father's a brilliant engineer, um, but as a Ferengi, you don't get to be a brilliant engineer. You got to be good at business, and he sucks. Um, and because he sucks, he's never accomplished anything in his life other than being, you know, the foil to my, working in my uncle's bar, which is great because later on in the series, Rom does get to be an engineer, and he joins the... Bajoran militia and he's you know and then eventually he works his way up to somehow becoming Nagus which is weird because he sucks at business but then he becomes the anti-Ferengi Nagus but anyway it's a bird of a different mm-hmm. feather love I, I love this episode Peter yeah it's a good episode um, okay great it's very also, good and Kate, also interesting <laughs> Kate over to you the, <laughs> just kidding it's also interesting how we get the female changeling to show up in this one uh, right there's a whole bit of there's the whole bit of deception going on there. I remember right. when I watched it the first time, I was like, how does that stone keep, ch- that doesn't make any sense. Cause part of it, I hadn't seen like avatar last airbender yet when I saw this, yeah. so I hadn't seen like the growing crystal cage. So otherwise right. I would have referenced that. Um, right. But I was, it was one of those like what's going on. And then when they finally were like, Oh look, it's, it's the change things. Like that makes sense. Here you go. So it was, so I thought, so another thing that it kind of brings in here is the, the female changeling particularly, but also just the great link in general, the founders, uh, their fascination and also disapproval of Odo in general is just kind of, yeah, just a little bit at the end of the episode. 
Right. Um, but that becomes a major beat throughout the rest of the of the series. And so it's interesting to see that start here. Um, mm-hmm. I loved Nog with the Starfleet bit, um, yeah. learning more about him. Also, Nog joining Starfleet is just a great storyline. So it's cool totally. that it starts here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. 100 proof. K. Yeah, I would say that this might be my my favorite episode of the bunch. Um, I'll I'll confirm that at the end after I remember whatever other episodes we watched. <laughs> but <laughs> P- patent pending, right? Exactly. Um, I really really enjoyed this episode because it was very reminiscent in the kind of vibe to the episode where we first met the changelings. Because as soon as you see Kara, there is something that is just off about mm-hmm. the way that she's behaving. And even like I remember the first time watching it, I was like, what is why is she, what is she doing? Like, I couldn't quite put my finger on like, is she smiling too much? Is it that she just seems really, really helpless and like kind of downtrodden? Like what is going on with her? And even watching it a second time, I still couldn't quite put my finger on it. It's just, she felt off as soon as Odo found her. And so it's one of those where you're like wondering the entire time, is this Kira? What is, what is going on? And then she, you know, confesses her love back to Odo. And I'm like, this feels weird. This is Mm. wrong. This is weird. So it totally it. makes sense. Yeah. And it's it's one of those where they really let the viewer in on in on the joke, so to speak, but without actually letting them know like what the joke is until you see the punchline. And right. I really enjoyed, you know, the acting and being able to make those subtle changes and acknowledge those subtle changes without it being overly obvious is what I think made this episode really, really strong. For sure. Cool. Good deal. All right. Uh Kay, I'll toss it back to you for episode 15. Yeah, so we have Destiny, um, directed by uh, Les Lando and written by David S. Cohen and Martin A. Weiner, uh, aired February 13th of 95. And this is when, uh, despite uh, Traker's Bajoran prophecy of destruction, Cisco's assists to a joint scientific venture with the Cardassians for open communications through the Bajoran wormhole. Cisco is forced to face his status as emissary seriously in the face of the prophecy. So um, again, this is a really a really fun one. I think that you you get it where the A and B plot kind of like merge in the middle, where you have it where Cisco's grappling with his role as emissary, Kira's grappling with her you know religion and you know him being the emissary as well as her boss, and you get to see some really fun Cardassians come on board, and as they're establishing the wormhole, and just excuse me. Overall, so it's very fun. You even had some, yeah, you even had some really fun moments with O'Brien as he's like, oh yeah, like he's getting getting yelling hit, at getting hit yeah. on. right, right, getting yelled at by this uh, Cardassian scientist. She's yelling at him, and all of a sudden, she's like, "I'm I'm very fruitful," and he's like, "Wait, whoa, what? Whoa!" <laughs> that yeah, that pass for Cardassian flirting, and and they don't mess around. You flirt in Cardassian, it's like, oh, let's it's time to get down because yeah. we want to have a little yeah, Cardassian. Exactly. Yeah, they don't they don't mess about. Yikes. But again, you also start to see the um, or the continued kind of separation between the Obsidian Order and the central government because the scientists were sent by the military branch. And then this third person kind of pops in and they're like, oh, actually, she's from the Obsidian Order. Right. was told to sabotage everything. And right. so they, like, the other two Cardassians just rattle out right, like, right at right. the end there. So right. you start to see which still like is, that kind is- of crumbling infrastructure. Which in Cardassian parlance means next week she's dead. They execute her. You know, they had her tri- they had her trial. She was guilty, and then they kicked her off a cliff. So yes, Cardassian justice. So, uh, Peter, how about you? Um, yeah, this one's a good one. Um, I think this one also has like a little bit of um, 
the idea of what do you do if you like you think you know the future with a prophecy but you don't know what actually leads to it and so you start double second guessing yourself and doing all this stuff and yeah i kind of like that bit because um at least I don't know why, but I like that sort of thing where it's like someone has an idea of the future and they're like, I want to prevent this or I want to make sure this happens. And it's like, you don't know what leads to it. So you can't. Um, right. And so it's just interesting to have that plot uh, going on uh, there. So, but overall good episode. I always love Cardassians. They're hilarious. Yeah. When, when I know. Um, <laughs> I know we spend so much ridiculousness. We've spent so much time with the Cardassians. I'm kind of, I'm kind of in the middle if I really want to see him again because, you know, maybe we've done too much, but I would also love to see what's Garrick doing because Garrick kind of ended up as the de facto leader of Cardassia after, you know, the, the events of the end of the series. So makes me curious, but in some ways it's almost kind of good to just, you know, let Andy Robinson had his book, which he did a reading from on the cruise, which was awesome. And I've really got to get around to reading it. He wrote a book, Kay, right after the series ended about Garrick's life after in the ruins of Cardassia. And then it also told his backstory and stuff. Stitch in time is the name of the book. It's in print, but apparently he's working on an audiobook version, which is better for me. <gasps> I was just going to ask I'm if, he, super, if I'm there's super an audio version that he reads because yes, I, I, I think it's in the works and I really, way. I'm, yeah, I wanted I to ask him. Garrett's I wanted to ask him. It's also yeah. just amazing to listen to. So new material right. of him speaking. As yeah. Oh, his yeah. delivery. It was one. Oh. It was wonderful That's, to yeah. listen to. I love. I just it. remember I have to change what episode is my favorite. <laughs> okay, that's all right. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right. Well, well, speaking of, I get the feeling it's not going to be this next one. But Peter, I yeah. think episode sixteen is yours. <sighs> okay, episode sixteen. Make it quick. Profit I think we motive, can make it quick. Uh, directed yeah. by Rene Ajer Benoit, uh, written by Ari Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf. So the, the star team again. Uh, debuted February twentieth, ninety five. Quark discovers that Grand Naked Zek has written a new, virtuous, and benevolent set of the rules of acquisition, which would put an end to traditional Ferengi ways. So sad. Bashir is oddly disturbed. <laughs> he is nominated for a highly prestigious medical award. Boring. Capitalism. Cough, cough. Yeah. Cough, cough. yeah. <laughs> yeah the B plot of this one was the major stinker for me. It's like, who gives two shits? I just, the thing yeah, with I'm Bashir sorry. Bashir was just bizarre. It didn't really yeah. add anything yeah. for me. Um, yeah like it's it like and we haven't had the uh genetic stuff revealed at this point in the show no so. season five no. I think, so, for, yeah. so retrospectively this is just an odd right odd episode and um, yeah that. and just just evidence that they hadn't really constructed yeah. that part of his it's, background yeah yeah but so right like, well and i was trying to figure is it like yes is it supposed to humanize him because like seems to do the exact opposite where he's like the most gifted, you know, doctor in Starfleet. Yeah, and we're right. supposed to he's feel bad like, that he didn't he get this award. He doesn't he, get it because he doesn't want to feel like he's superior. On his, on his way like, down. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, I've reached pinnacle weird. mark career. It's just dumb. All right. Well, how about the A story? How do we feel about the A story that? is hilarious. It's stupid, but it's hilarious. It's stupid. Yeah. It, yes. Agreed. Is it, but I guess the real question is, and again, I know we're kind of, we're kind of going around Robin on this one, but is it, is it stupid and hilarious in a way that works or stupid and hilarious in a way that you feel like this is a filler episode? Cause I'm going to go oh, with I think B. it's definitely filler. I think yeah. it's definitely sure filler. filler. It's still one that I right. can go back and watch. It's true, not like, true. it's and, not filler and, and, where I'm sitting there going like, 
Oh God! But, oh, looking at mm-hmm. the yeah, I mean, I would I would argue that any DS9 Ferengi episode is fun and watchable. Um, if okay. you know, it, although the one with in season two with Pell, the the woman who pretends that, to be a man, that that's quite, that's kind yeah, of an eye roller. Right. Yeah, that's an eye roller without a doubt. Like but the uh, ones, yeah, like the magnificent Ferengi and all. That. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> so, or the, uh, the the final Mirror Universe episode in season seven. It was the the final appearance of that, and then yeah, the, where they have to go in and rescue Moogie or the Nagus or I'm trying to remember we'll, we'll, we'll know when we get there um, <laughs> gotcha any other thoughts before like I said I thought we were all kind of like meh Kay what do you think I mean I always enjoy Wallace Shawn's portrayal of Zach and I thought it was fun to see his spin on a different portrayal of Zach um, yeah but I wouldn't, you know, say it was, you know, like the best episode. Like, it's not right. one that I think back on when I'm thinking of like core DS9 episodes. Mm, no. Yes, it indeed. is funny, oh though, goodness. when Quark goes to talk to the prophets and basically his solution is blackmail. Like, you fix this, and <laughs> he will show up and annoy you. It's like, yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> I mean, he I mean, he went wrong because it, it, wrong. Was, it, it wasn't. No, it was very yeah. funny that that's his solution. Right. Like, it was it was very Can I very negotiate with you? should I argue with you should I convince you no we'll just annoy yeah. you to death there okay. you go <laughs> Very good. All right. Okay. I'm going to jump into episode 17, which is visionary. Uh, we got Reza. Bede- We're never going to say this dude's name right, but he de- Reza. He does keep showing up. Uh, stories by Ethan Cock and teleplays by John Shirley. Two people who I don't think were staffers because I don't feel like I've ever heard their name before from Feb of 95. Uh, another O'Brien gets beaten up episode. That's right. Exposure to radiation causes O'Brien to jump five hours <laughs> forward into the future for brief periods, including one that shows DS9's destruction while the station hosts Romulan and Klingon delegation. So we're starting to really um, deepen the Romulan uh, part of this show, which I love because the Romulans are just a traditional toss-up in the original series they were invented they didn't get used a lot because the ear the ears were expensive that was always the argument that i've heard like we put the klingons in the original series because we could paint them brown and give them fake mustaches and we had aliens where you know having 50 extras with ears was too expensive for us on a show that that had no budget um we got a hell of a lot more of them in tng but not as real regular aliens kind of a little bit more as cold warriors and then you know it extends on into here that we get some nice decent appearances and this is great this is romulans doing romulan stuff lying cheating stealing killing doing things in the shadows i dug it i dug it and having the klingons in there obviously they're they're traditional blood enemies so it's good to see them kind of mix things up though the the klingon piece was a lot smaller but yeah more o'brien just being the foil to getting killed he does actually die in this episode but much like you know yeah, much like Harry Kim in the Deadlock episode of Voyager, the, there's another version of him that just comes back. And Kay, I remember when you and I did that episode, you're like, how come that wasn't like uh, like crippling for him emotionally for the rest of his life? That he, right. was, <laughs> that he was a copy or he was a, from a different reality or whatever. But, you know, I guess in Starfleet, you're just kind of like, man, whatever, bro. It's good. I, I'm going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was. I'm like, we should like turn this into a drinking game or something as far as like how many times like an alternate just shows up because I'm pretty Duplicate. sure <laughs> has O'Brien been duplicated before. I feel like he might have. Yes, been the uh, season <laughs> two. What was the episode? The uh, uh, what was the name of the episode, Peter? You know the one I'm talking about. Not the alternate, but it was the. Um, oh, yeah, you know where he had like about. a bunch of clones or something. He had a clone that replaced him and even we didn't know until the until the like seriously the last yes. two minutes when it was revealed with the Parada. That was the name of the aliens. And I cannot remember the name of the episode. It's killing me. But it was in the like last quarter of 
season yeah. two. So not even really that long before this. So yeah, the the uh, the duplicate, you know, O'Brien and O'Brien, much like all Starfleet engineers, is just a foil to get beating the crap out of Scotty, Jordy, Trip Tucker, uh, Bolana, just, you know, just to absolutely get brutalized. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about wearing that red slash gold uniform that uh, you just, it's an extension of the red shirt bit. I don't know. It's kind of tough. All yeah, right. Well, Peter, keep Pe- coming back. So yeah, you know? they die and keep coming back. So, um, all right, where do we leave off? Uh, other thoughts, anybody jump in. Sorry. Now I'm way off track. I apologize. Um, oh, I would have, preferred to see more of the Romulan versus Klingon delegation because they were like kind of right. setting that up and then it turned into this, you know, O'Brien jumping back and forth for five hours at a time. Right. It's just a tease, right? Yeah, that part was ki- honestly kind of boring to me because everything that was going around him had to do with the Klingon Romulan kind of like tiff that was happening and the strife that was there, but you never actually yeah. felt any like resolution or like stakes to it because everything was done through O'Brien's perspective. So I guess I would have liked to see a different avenue taken to get to that. Yeah. You know? And it's also That's like, fair. I knew that was a Romulan warbird that was like doing like the temporal. They're like, I don't know, some weird like temporal shift thing is arbiting our station i'm like three romulans just showed up how do you not well, know that's a word and they they <laughs> totally did that in an episode of tng at the end of season six they, yeah. it was the, time, the timescape one where they got tra- it was uh it was uh you know a, a group of our people they were in a runabout and yeah the, the it, it was all framed about what's going on and it was the artificial quantum singularity that po- po- powers the romulan warp drive causes temporal shit to happen it's just it's it should come with a damn warning label boop may right. cause temporal anomalies thank you <laughs> also, did everybody's shoulders get bigger? I feel like everybody's shoulders. It was like the That's era of the shoulder deal. pads. By the way, uh, total sidebar, if you're watching our YouTube, um, in Peter's faux background, a dog just came into focus and then walked into the back of ops. It was awesome. <laughs> so, Peter, you, oh. Peter you'll, have to, you'll have to watch the video when That's Todd funny. publishes it, which is funny because Kay's the one who's dog sitting, yet Peter had the dog yes. appearance. It's amazing. Um <laughs> Yeah, even so yeah, <laughs> even in ops, yeah, we can't keep the pets out of here. I because I'm in the studio now, I keep the cats out because otherwise you would you would just hear meow, meow, and then a cat fly at my face. We just don't need to see that. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I, you're right. I, I liked more Klingon Rymel stuff than I liked um, O'Brien getting tortured again because you know snore. So anyway, yeah, Peter, other thoughts before we move on? Um, for me, this is one of the weaker time travel stories. And we know how much I love yeah. time travel stories. I didn't really care for this one that much. I hear ya. I um, hear ya. So, but again, the Rami and Klingon stuff, that's interesting. O'Brien's right. suffering, it's a trope and it gets a little old sometimes. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's a little more run of the mill. Um, well, Brian, but mm. not, not, not so much enjoying just seeing him getting killed all the time. That, yeah. That's fair. Um, okay, now in running for your least favorite episode of the bunch, that would be number 18. Who's up? Kay, you're up. I think I think it's me. Yeah, we've got Distant Voices written by Alex Sing- or Alexander Singer, story by Joe Minuski, and teleplay by Iris Steven Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf. Uh, All big stars in Mm-hmm. So approaching yeah. his 30th birthday, Julian Basir is subjected to a telepathic attack by an alien seeking a restricted substance. He wakes up to find the station almost deserted and that he is aging rapidly. Um so you know, this was this was a Bashir mind in a bottle type of episode. Um, I did think that it was weird that he was starting to have like a midlife crisis at 
30 when like the average lifespan in that era is like 120 like 200. years. <laughs> yeah. 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 So like that'd be like the equivalent of being like 19 nowadays of being like, oh, my life is half over. Like this is where adulthood starts. And I'm like, um. That is what 19 year olds act like though. <laughs> you know, in all so fairness, much drama. That's true. That's so much true. Drama. There's so much drama. Sorry. But um, I don't know. This is the part where I would have. I feel like sometimes they miss out on like the anthropo or the um, anthropology aspect they could have as far as like how would living that long have changed our culture? Oh, that's like moving forward. Would like, you know, we start school later. Would we, you know, take time between like secondary education and our careers, you know, and like that kind of stuff versus it just being like this rush forward. Um, I mean, overall, I thought it was an interesting idea. I mean, anything with Bashir, I'm kind of like, uh, okay. Like, I don't love him. I don't hate him. I mean, I did like, you know, we got Garrick and, you know, yeah. he got to kind of be the foil to Bashir. And right. that was very enjoyable because you find out that it's like the alien posing as Bashir in his mind or posing as Garrick in his mind. Ooh, interesting. Right. Ooh. Um, Make it interesting, damn it. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was one of those where I was like, okay, I get like it. It was interesting. It wasn't like amazing. Yeah. Put it that way. That that's a decent point. Yeah, me. This this was kind of weak for me. Uh, I I don't like the mind in a bottle. I don't like the Bobby in the shower scene, which is a Dallas reference, which I know I've made in the past, and you guys don't know what Dallas <laughs> is, but, that, but that's okay. Um, but just to I let know, you know that that yeah, that was that was that was a nighttime soap in the seventies and the eighties, and one entire season of it had to do with the character dreaming what happened, and in the final episode, he wakes up, or, or no, his his wife who died during the season or whatever it is wakes up walks in the bathroom and then bobby ewing who was he was the guy who was the dad on step by step um was in the shower he was supposed to have been and he was in the shower showering and the whole thing was a dream so yeah i don't like the mind in a bottle like thank god it wasn't a whole season it's great that it's just an episode and then you move on to the next one which happens to be a really great episode so yeah this didn't really do it for me i understand where they're coming from trying to have him do a whole herman's head kind of thing oh my god there's another reference you guys won't get that was a sitcom in the 90s from fox sorry um (laughs) where the, the where the whole whole series was the guy had four voices it was a predecessor uh, uh, i know i've talked about this before it was a predecessor to that pixar movie what was it uh, in and out or inside what's the out. one about inside, inside out, out where it was it was all about the the feelings and were all represented by little characters that's what that show was and it was a weekly sitcom and i liked it but nobody else did that's why it got canceled um but this was the same kind of thing what's funny it was airing it right around the same time and it was on upn so it was the same it was the same people oh i wonder oh but this was written by Ira and Robert Hewitt. So it's not like this was like, and the guys from Herman heads came over and wrote an episode of star Trek. Uh, that would have made more better. sense to me than having this, what I thought was a, was a duffer. So whatever I got, it. it's not, not, not a fake on a journey. Charlie. <laughs> that's, you know what? Fair listeners. That's what I'm here for. Peter, <laughs> Peter, what, Peter, what are your thoughts? Um, this was an okay episode. Um, it definitely kind of had like when I, it definitely has that feeling of like the episode with Beverly stuck in the static warp shell um, right. from TNG, uh, kind of that sort of deal. So like, you know, something's wrong from the get go and you're just like, okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> you're just like, I, okay, whatever. I always love having Garrick, even if it's not officially Garrick, but Garrick mm-hmm. on screen doing Garricky mm-hmm. things is always entertaining for me. 
And especially yeah. at the end, it's like, I find it interesting, Doctor, that I was the villain in your dream. And like, like, what does yes. that tell? What does that say about our relationship? Well, uh, it means that you're very smart. Like, like, yeah, yeah. you're a good. It puppy. means that there's it's hope okay. for you yet. That's what he said. But like, yeah, right. yeah, it's just great the relationship that they have of Garrick just constantly poking at him and giving him yeah. grief. Um, so like, <laughs> oh, there's oh, there's oh, a couple oh. good Garrick moments in this episode, but other yeah, like, that's oh, fair. I mean. That's fair. Well, if you didn't love that one, you're going to love the next one. Peter, episode 19. Episode 19, Through the Looking Glass, directed by Winrick Colby, <laughs> written by Ira Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf, aired April 17 of 95. Cisco is convinced by Smiley O'Brien from the Mirror Universe to assume the role of the dead Captain Cisco from yes Cisco getting a lot of strange from people he knows that aren't people he knows kind of skeevy (laughs) yes I realized I was like if if being like making it in the mirror dimension means I constantly have to be making out or having sex with my co-workers I would not hack it This this that this never ep- even occurred to me. I should avoid the mirror universe. Yes, because yeah. you're, gonna end up having, you're gonna end up having sex with people that you don't know that look like people you know and have the same name. Um yeah, talk about an ultimate male fantasy, but it's a little bit like telling that it's super easy for our Cisco to just be like, I'll have sex with Kira and Dax, even though they're coworkers of mine and I'm not actually attracted to him, but for the mission, I'll just, you know what? I'll be James Bond. He was, he was kind of James Bond in his way through this deal and reconnecting with the mirror version of his long dead wife. Um, yeah, there was a lot going on here, but anyway, Kay, so, no, who read it? Peter, you read it. You get to go. Um, <laughs> uh, I like mirror universe episodes generally. I know some people like yeah. think that the mirror universe is played out. I think it's played out currently, but I like when yeah. it was in deep space nine, I think. They right. Cause it. they brought it back. They were really the yeah. ones that fleshed it out. Um, so like I enjoyed a chunk of this episode, maybe not the whole sleeping with everybody part, cause I, yeah, whatever. Um, not great, but it's, in, it's always <laughs> interesting great. for me how they go in and like try to yeah. change how, O'Brien like blackmails him to like fix their problem for them. Right. So like we need you. Good, yeah, there's a lot of good parts in this episode. There's some <laughs> hilarious parts, especially the confrontation between Cisco and Commandant Kira. That's the, the intendant. Yes. Yeah. She, yeah. Oh, she's confident. Yeah. Intendant. No, it's intendant. Yeah. Okay. Commandant would be more like, uh, uh, you know, like the head of Starfleet Academy, like you're a teacher. I yeah. wouldn't say she was much of a teacher, at least not of anything that most people it, would want to learn. And then also get entertaining the to have, <clears throat> I know I keep bringing this character up, but mirror Garrick. It's Garrick oh, again. Yep. He's so nasty. <laughs> I know. It's, it's so enjoyable seeing a different take on the character and the evil. Version. Yeah. You're like, oh, so this would be how Garrick would be if he was like actually a really bad regular, regular ass Cardassian. Yeah, they, oh, so yeah. much you know, dick swing and office politics on on Terraknor. You know what I mean? The tenant's like, well, you're not getting the quotas up, so uh, what are you going to do to change that? Well, I've tried random beatings and just killing people and whatever, and somehow it's not motivating people. It's just it was they were doing shtick, you know. You know, 
Well, and also, if you're consistently executing your staff, it might be why your <laughs> ore processing is down by 15% because you've killed 15% of your staff. I don't know. Are you, are you saying this could, wait, I'm feeling, hold on, I'm feeling it. New name of the episode, something related to HR in the mirror universe. There we go. <laughs> HR in the mirror universe. Mm. All right. Okay. So, uh, uh, other, like I said, other, uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll say that one more time. Garrick and HR. Tarek Noor HR or Garrick and Garrick and Tarek HR. Garrick Noor. Garrick Noor. HR. Oh my God. Nailed it. I wasn't sure we were going to get a great killer name for this episode, but we did it. Um, this was definitely my favorite, I would say, of the bunch. Um, yeah, I just, I love, you know, and again, it's not, you know, Cisco is kind of like, I'm a cowboy sleeping with people in yada yada blizzardy blues. But you know what? He he got in there. He got the job done. He was a badass. It, I'm it, leave it, le- Leaving the sleeping with people out of it part, he was a badass getting the job done, fought the good fight, helped Smiley out, helped out the rebellion, uh, got Jennifer over to the good side of stuff. Um, and yeah, I liked all part of it. It was, it was a, you know what? I hate to use the word rip or an adventure, but here we are. It was a ripper and adventure. I loved it. Yeah, I think that this is one that I could probably leave. Um, I feel like with a mirror dimension, I love that the stories behind it and like the plot ideas are really, really great. But I feel like everybody kind of comes down to a caricature of themselves mm, where like yeah, I can see that. everyone is evil. Every like Cisco's an ass, Kira's an ass, Bashir's an ass, even O'Brien's right. an ass. Like everybody's there's, there's, an ass. There's a whole I, lot of ass. That's like the mirror, yeah, that's the mirror dimension version. But at that point, I'm like, why right. are they like, like, I feel like in Discovery, like, even though they really, really played it out there, they put a little bit more motivation behind the characters besides just like, you know, everybody's right. promiscuous right. and, you know, is right. yelling at each other. <laughs> it was, there's a little bit more mustache twirling in them. <laughs> yeah. 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 I get it. I get it. Peter. Thoughts? Did we already get your thoughts? Now I'm losing we track. Did. Did. Okay, <laughs> very good. <laughs> then it's time to move on, and it's weird just because when I when I pace these episodes out, we have 26 episodes, so it's six it six seven six seven, so that we get them across four episodes of our show. Unfortunately, that landed us on a part one of two, so we're creating mm-hmm. a cliffhanger within this episode to our next episode, and that would be uh, with episode 20. So, Kay, I think you're up. Yeah, so this is episode 20, Improbable Cause, uh, uh, directed by Avery Books, stories by Robert Letterman and David R. Long, teleplay by Renee um, Echevarra, and mm-hmm. it aired April 24th of 95, and this is when Garrick's tailor shop is bombed, forcing Odo to investigate who is trying to kill the Cardassian exile and why, part one of two. My favorite Do-do-do. episode, right just because you get so many amazing amazing lines from Gary. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna have to flip the script and say this is my favorite too I mean hands down I yeah. guess I wasn't even considering but this is this is as much Garricking as you get um and it's that much more uh character explanation of his that you understand and this is without the reveal which we don't get to later in the series is that an opportunity is his father and they're still like well you know it's the elephant in the room that they just and you see more of it in in part two which let's not spoil it by talking about part two but they just they just don't even talk about it they are in such deep denial you know denial is not Mm -hmm. just a river on earth it's a river on cardassia they are bad (laughs) not 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 really talking shit through because yeah he's he's you know nabrantain's love child or whatever however that is um yeah holy shit what a great episode but anyway yeah. back to you guys so 
I mean, it started out with a really kind of great, like, day in the life kind of episode. You know, you've got Garrick having lunch with Bashir, and then Kira comes over and starts talking to Bashir about, you know, a new alien species that they're kind of setting up where you're like, oh, there's going to be this really weird, like, corrosive alien species. This is probably where, the, you know, where the plot's going to come from. And then, boom, Garrick's shop, gone. It's just mm-hmm. gone. And, you know, you he's setting this up, and again, you just get so many amazing quips from him, like when they're putting the list of suspects together, and Garrick adds Kira's name to the list, and Bashir's <laughs> like, dude, come on. And he's like, no, I'm serious, Doctor. I don't think she likes me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, and Odo's like she doesn't. But if somebody, if she, I, but right. I don't think she would try to kill you. And I hate the to break it part- to you, Garrick, but she has an alibi. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh damn it! Or you know, he says that he's uh, he's been exiled for refusing to pay his taxes, and Odo was like, "Come on!" And he's like, "Do you really think I'd lie about that? It's not something I'm proud of." Oh my god, he's so good. <laughs> like, and what's what, it's what's so Garrick? Good. Garrick's great line later in the series, he said, lying is is like any skill. If you want to maintain a certain level of mastery, you have to practice. And he just right. he just keeps going. Yes, what's the truth? Yeah, Especially or, the lies. Or in this one, when he's talking about lying, because Bashir tells him the story of the boy who cried wolf. And, you know, Bashir says the moral <laughs> is so you know, not to lie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because once you do it so often, no one will believe you. And Garrick just goes, no, the idea is that you don't still tell the same lie don't twice. Lie twice. Oh, my <laughs> God. Yeah, you're right. This was he was a nonstop quip machine in this episode. This was Garrick's. Yes. Qu- uh, you know what? I, I wouldn't change the name of it, but if I was, it would be the Garrick quick quip machine. I think that that would be pretty great. Yes. But Gar- Garrick Noir HR is that is the name of the episode, hands down. Well, and then you um, also get the amazing um, relationship building between like Odo and Garrick, where Odo just like flat out like destroys him in his office. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Oh. And I gotta say, I think I think Garrick might have enjoyed it a little bit because he was just like, "Oh, this is fun. <laughs> this is this is for sure." <laughs> yeah, right. It's oh finally, where he gets to do some mental jousting with someone who's willing to like yeah. joust. Maybe back. maybe a little right. Odo Daddy going on. I don't know. <laughs> oh Whoa, hello! Uh, that's going in a different direction. Oh my goodness, yeah, Peter. What are your What are your thoughts? Did Did this nail it for you, or what, what are you thinking? Oh yeah, this is a great episode. I I love the. the these two episodes we're not talking about part two but i love both of them here uh especially this one as i have mentioned several times in this podcast i love garrick and this has a lot of Garrick. do you uh, do you love garrick no, okay, okay. that's good that's good to know it's good to know i'm glad to hear um, it <laughs> but yeah so my favorite person garrick is in this episode so much and as we've said so many quips so many lines so so much ridiculousness it's just really enjoyable Obviously, yeah. there's the whole other bit with Inhabitant and all of that, um, where and then we get the um, the Romulans involved, and so that's kind of cool. Where we get where we get like finally some more. This is where we start to get more movement towards the Dominion War itself, and so that we see that that Sisyphean boulder start rolling. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So that's so that's also another good part. So. Basically, the writing in this episode is solid. Um, it has a lot of a lot of heart, a lot of ridiculousness, um, and yeah, it's just overall great episode. Yeah. And directed by Avery Brooks too, so yeah, yeah which is great because his previous episode, which he directed in our last batch, was Fascination, which I don't think we really liked Nobody very much. Liked it. <laughs> it was a big thumbs down. All right, yeah. uh, any further thoughts before we move on to our grand uh, picking of favorites and least favorites? We're good? Ready? All right. 
Kay, I think you already said, but say it again. Give us yeah, a favorite so and least favorite. Improbable cause would definitely be my favorite. And then I think uh, probably I think through the looking glass, just because visionary ha- or distant voices at least had Garrick. No. Oh. There. Well, I will. I'll give you fifty percent of that in agreement. Improbable cause, somewhat tied with through the looking glass, but again, it's a little bit more, you know, pew pew pew, and maybe that's not so Star Trekky. Um, but improbable cause, it's impossible tonight. And I thought distant distant voices was a snore. I, I don't. I don't need my Herman's head mixed in with my Star Trek. Thumbs down, <laughs> Peter. Um. I'm going to be uncreative and say that improbable cause is the best episode out of the lot. Cause I mean, it is. Um, yeah. And my least favorite out of this group would probably be visionary. Um, okay. Oh God. It's, it's, why didn't I pick that? Damn it. Cause it's just, it's not great time travel and me, the philosopher hates how they kind of do it. <laughs> so yeah, fair, fair. Yeah. I could have picked that one or I could have picked profit mode because it was just, it was too silly, but it was still fun. Um, so cool. All right. That wraps us up. So in our next episode, we will be finishing Deep Space Nine, uh, season three, and then we're going to be moving on to Voyager season three, which will just be Kay and myself, because Peter gets the Peter gets the Voyager boot, boop. <laughs> but uh, no, this was great, and then obviously we're going to be we're going to be getting into the back half um, of Picard season three, and they've got a lot going on. So I'm going to start reading the outro. That's going to be my new contribution. Uh, for more information <laughs> about Starfleet International, please visit Grand Petoskey on Facebook, Twitter, and at our website gang as always thank you for joining us peter where do people find you out there on the intrawebs you can find me out at the interwebs at petrus aquinas on most socials i probably won't say anything but you can find me uh <laughs> you can also find me at elh's channel on twitch or youtube where i play a vulcan chief engineer excellent Kay, what about you um, you can find me on Twitter at QTGeek. That's Q underscore T Geek. And then on uh, counter social at K Quinn. Excellent. You can find me over on Twitter at the C3. Go ahead and spell it out. As previously mentioned, the USS Grand Petoskey uh, is the chapter of the International Star Trek Fan Club run by myself and my lovely wife, April, of which both Kay and Peter are members. We are based here in West Michigan, um, but we have members from all over the place. I also run Region 13 uh, of SFI, which also includes Eastern Canada. If you're in any of those places or anywhere at all and want to be part of a fan community with a lot of great fun and advantages, please drop me a line from the Grand Petoskey website over on Twitter or other places where you can find me. With that, I'm going to tell you, as always, that uh, sharing is caring and to keep on trekking. And wherever you go, go boldly. Peace and long life. This podcast is part of the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. Visit SecretFriendsUnite.com for more great shows, articles, news, reviews, and more. Secret Friends Unite podcasts are available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other podcast services around the world. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, you can join us on Facebook or our new Discord server. Or follow at SecretFriendsU on Twitter. Please subscribe to Secret Friends Unite on YouTube and visit our merch store at tpublic.com. Just search Secret Friends Unite. Thanks for listening.